Episode 160 of the Bevan James Isle Show, an interview with Glenn Marsden. Rightio, team, welcome along to episode 160 of the Bevan James I'll Show, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Um, I'm, I'm still on holiday, so I kind of get back for the next episode, so I'm not going to do much of an intro today, I'm going to get pretty much into the main interview on today's show, and I've got an interview with a guy called Glenn Marsden, who's a man I've known for a long time, he actually, well you're going to hear the story about Harry, kind of, we met at the gym in Christchurch and then he went on to Australia and... Uh, he's a photographer and he's doing some amazing work using photography around mental health to help people open up and have discussions and work towards good tools. And so um, he's just got some really, really, really good stuff. He's doing some really good work. And I thought he'd be really cool to get on because A, he's got that fitness angle and then B, uh, the, the mental health angle. And, and actually the start of the conversation kind of just goes where it needs to go and there's some really good stuff in there. So I think you guys are going to enjoy the interview. So before I put the main interview on, I just want to say a big thank you to all the patrons of the show. If you're to become a patron, what that means is you donate a little bit of your money to the show each time I release the show, and it just supports me and what I'm doing, helps me spread the word. It's really, really great stuff. And these are some of the people who do that. Brittany Mystic McGeechan, uh, Greg the Python Crowley, Luke Mayhem Miller, Pip the Silent Assassin Langford. We've also got Kate, the perfect one, Southern, and then Robbie, Robbie, the big shot, Alan. These are all people who donate to the show. So I just want to say a big thank you to those people. If you want to become a patron, just go to my website, bevanjamesisles.com. Go on the Patreon page and just, it's all pretty obvious from there. Uh, once again, thank you to all the people who are patrons. So we're going to get straight into it right now. Here is my interview with Glenn Marsden. <laughs> Radio team, I'm very happy to have a man who used to be a hardcore exerciser in my class a long time ago. Him and Helen used to do high kicks next to each other and challenge each other with their high kicks. Uh, then he moved to Australia and I kind of kept an eye on what he was doing. And he's a man who has a passion for fitness but also photography and he's kind of really transitioning uh, to having a big help to others around mental health. So welcome to the show, Glenn Mustin. How are you? Thank you. I'm very good. Um, and let me first start by saying I'm honoured from yourself to get me on board mate i mean all those years ago like you said um hardcore fitness fanatic and coming to your classes you were a big inspiration mate for my journey so oh, thank, thank you, you. thank you very much um let's, let's start at the start just give, give us tell us your journey you know right back from maybe before you even started with fitness yeah um so i'd say back in the early days i i found a passion for fitness um, in my local gym, um, and then one day I walked into the group fitness studio, and it was a, a body combat class. Um, so from there, it, it stemmed a passion for fitness, and it just grew and grew. And I I found that the, my, my passion was more in terms of seeing how the connection was made between the instructor and the participants, and mm. it just made me want to delve into that realm a little bit more. So I found out how to get certified, became certified, and started watching people like yourself on DVDs and, and just knew I wanted to make a move to New Zealand to try and find out the, the mecca of Les Mills. Um, so yeah, I made that transition, moved over to New Zealand, to Christchurch, 
And one day I walked in and saw all these people um, sat around. Um, see where I was from, there used to be about 20, 30 people in a class to New Zealand. There was about 100, 100 odd people just sat around. And then this guy, this guy came in full of energy. And literally, this is why I said you actually made an impact on my journey because you beelined for me. Don't know if you remember it. So it just impressed me that out of all these people, you must have paid that much attention to who was new in your class. And he came and sat on the floor, open posture, started talking to me, finding out a little bit about me, and then went and did your thing on stage. And and yeah, it just it stemmed from there. My passion for fitness just took off and um, learned a lot from you. Did um, a miniature course, I think it was, yeah. with yourself, with um, who else was on there? Dora, Chris, oh, yeah. Hannah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then unfortunately my visa ran out, so I hopped over to Australia, continued my fitness career. Um, yeah, so that's 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 pretty much how it all started within fitness. But Can I ask a question before we kind of get too far ahead? What gave you the courage or the ability to kind of go? Here's my passion. I'm gonna I'm gonna, you know, because you went into it blind. You know, yeah. you, you know, you've got you've obviously had established a life in the UK. Because a lot of people out there kind of want to do this but never do. What gave you the courage just to kind of go, you know what, I'm jumping, I'm doing it? I think it's something in life that I've found, and obviously from an early age, that I, I don't settle well. If there's something that I want to do, I'll, I'll find a way. And I hope that people can see through the campaign that we may talk about a little later on that um, I'm a hustler. <laughs> that if I've got passion for something, I'll, I'll go about and I'll find a way to do it. So... When I established myself in the UK teaching fitness, it was on a small scale, and I wanted to know how I could reach people a little bit further. And and through the impact of seeing you guys on stage on the DVD, um, I knew that New Zealand was the place that I uh, needed to be. So I found a way, saved saved as much as I could, and then hopped on a plane and got a year's visa in um, New Zealand. Wow, wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Because um, a lot of people take the safe path, don't they? And, and you know, like, you know, we've got to talk about what you've done. But, you know, like, it's, you've got to, in many ways, people, like, I imagine there's people who look at you now and kind of go, oh, uh, he's so lucky. And it's like, well, you know, he's worked hard and he's created, he made choices to give himself these opportunities. And it's really true, isn't it? Yeah. And, and that's one of the biggest things with the campaigns. I think social media, it's, it's what I wanted to create with a campaign is just an awareness, especially for the younger generation, that pretty much what you see, you're comparing your behind the scenes with people's highlight reels. Mm. So you're only going to see the the after effect of what people have posted. So you can look at my photography page, you can look at the campaign page or anything and think, wow, this guy's killing it or he's, he's got a really good life. But what they don't see is I'm working my ass off. Like I get up at four o'clock in the morning just to get my training out of the way to get home to make sure that I've got time with the kids before they go to school or childcare. Then I work 10 hours a day at a normal job and then get home and do editing, have time with the family, go to bed, do the same six days a week. Yeah. And it's tiring and I'm tired. Yeah. But I've got a goal inside of my next stage where I want to take things. Yeah. So I think if anything, anyone can take away from whatever I'm doing is is don't always look at social media and media and think that they, they've got the life because as we talk about this campaign and you see the public figures and some of the the most well-known faces in Australia and New Zealand coming on board like they haven't got the ultimate life where people think they have it's a perception mm. this is the whole thing in life we 
we're valuing our our self worth on what we think other people are doing. Yeah, it's dangerous, isn't it? Time and self development in ourselves. Yeah. So, um, are you still doing? Are you still teaching fitness? I don't know. Three years now, so I'm very much still in the fitness space. But cardio went out of the window a little bit, so now it's more getting into the bodybuilding. So what I did find out was through all the cycle classes and the um, the body combat was that I was getting really tight pec minors. And it was kind of funny because with with the campaign, um, as much as it stemmed from losing a friend to suicide, the more it resonated with me and which you guys wouldn't have known because I never went through it myself when I was back in New Zealand. But Around when I was 30, I self-diagnosed myself with body dysmorphia. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So it started stemming probably from social media and comparing myself. But I spent probably a year or two just hiding it from everyone, checking the mirror constantly just on perceived flaws because I couldn't get this aesthetic chest that all these guys seem to be getting and these big arms. and, And it just got to a place where... I got depressed and I went to see a doctor in Thailand because we moved to Thailand. Um, he didn't understand what body dysmorphia was because he was a general yeah. practitioner. Yeah. Um, and then it, it took, I don't know, the grace of God maybe to um, get us back to Australia when we found some childcare. And I went to see someone there and he actually, the best thing he did was put me with a personal trainer who had suffered body dysmorphia. Okay. And okay. it pretty much stemmed from me doing way too much um, impact like a boxer or yep. combat yep. and things and not strengthening my back. Yep. Yep. So it's kind of pulling everything forward. Mm. And that gave me depression and body dysmorphia because I wasn't, although I was in the fitness industry, I was, I was seeing a reality or a perceived reality through social media of aesthetics yeah. more than yeah. taking care of myself and my mental health. Can you, can you talk to us a little bit about what it's like to be in that place? Like, what, what's the experience of having that? Um, uh, so pretty much it got to a place where, so bearing in mind when we couldn't find childcare in Sydney, it's quite hard. Yep. So we decided either to move back to the UK or Thailand. First of all, you're going climate, um, yeah. I'll move to Thailand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we made the transition to Thailand and pretty much it took me away into a brand new culture, um, no friends that I knew there and bearing in mind probably 22 when I left for New Zealand and I'd made my life in there and then um, Australia so it gave me more time to dwell on things so I'd I'd be in front of the mirror and my perceived flow was because I got pipe uh, tight pec minus should I say it was pulling my shoulders forward I couldn't get this aesthetic chest and it was to the point where, now looking back in hindsight, my friends all said they knew there was something because I used to be obsessed and going, I can't feel my chest. I can't feel it when we're, we're training. Um, and, and they just used to brush it off and not think it was an issue. But yeah, some days I would literally, I'll explain it as far as to say, I look in the mirror for up to maybe two or three hours and then go to the gym and hit it on the perceived floor probably doing more damage by pulling my shoulders more forward because I was trying to concentrate on hitting the pecs more yeah. instead of working out the problem, which was the back. Mm. Um, yeah, two or three hours in the mirror, and it nearly split me and my wife up because she, in all fairness to her, thought it was vanity that I love myself, okay. which it certainly isn't. Which, which self- you could see why you would see it that way, but... but yeah. Yeah, wow. And 
and it's almost unless you've been through it, it's, it's I can laugh at it now. Yeah. But we actually caught up with a friend who we'd not seen for ten years after we got married, um, and no one ever knew what happened to him. And then he came back into our lives a couple of months ago. We sat down for dinner, and he was a male model, cat's um, best friend, and literally he had said he disappeared. He was suffering body dysmorphia because he was in the modeling industry. And I goes, if we had have known we was both going through it as guys, we could have spoken. But because we're guys and we've got this bravado, we just don't talk. Yeah. Um, And I think what I've taken away from that and is why people see the authenticity and the passion behind this campaign is it probably resonates a lot more deeper with me. Yeah. Um, And now I spot it in people in the gym. What what did you... So you're in this place where you're literally kind of wasting your life feeling disappointed about yourself. And I imagine it's, a, you know, like if we think of just the presence of self in that time, you're standing in front of the mirror just in disappointment and it seems like you're kind of trapped because if you're there for two or three hours, so it's yeah. this kind of this really negative mind space to be in um, where you're basically just kind of emotionally beating yourself up. You know, I am a disappointment because of because of this body image stuff. Um, you, you got some help. What were some of the, the keys that actually got you to a place where now you can laugh at it? Um, I suppose it was that initial coming back to Sydney. So it took a little bit of um, pressure off because I was around normality. I was around okay. friends that I knew and, and, and a career. So it took my mind off it. But the day that I actually went to speak to a psychologist and they put me in touch with a personal trainer who had gone through it. Yep. Um, and they was talking about cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, body dysmorphia, if anyone looks into it, is it's a natural killer because people get that wrapped up in their own mindset with it, yeah. uh, and they can't get out of it. Like some days I was thinking, I just can't continue like this, wow. and it was taking me away from thinking that my kid was it was just coming to his first birthday and I was spending more time in the mirror than my kid. Wow. Right there is, like, it's, it's yeah. an issue. Of course, yeah. But because when I first went to see that general practitioner in Thailand, and in Thailand it's obviously not a place where people are that much concerned with aesthetics, um, he didn't really understand it, so he couldn't really help us. So I think coming back to Sydney and speaking to that person and then with the personal trainer, and then he got me training with him, and it was working out the back, and we did a postural analysis. And, and looking back in hindsight, I go, my God, I put myself through two years of torture when all it was was working your back. But, but, but was getting through it just solving the problem? Or what about emotionally? Because it seems that, you know, was it literally fixed my shoulders and I felt better about my aesthetics or was, it, was there a deeper level that you had to work through? I, for myself, I think, and I don't know, for people that I've talked to with body dysmorphia, it's kind of results. So it's, it is kind of a visual thing. So as soon as you start seeing... The result the aspect come to fruition, should I say? Yeah, it, it literally lifted my mindset. Wow! So, as soon as my back started going back into place and postural, yeah, and my chest started developing, and now I see those results and keep track of it. But as I say, I think, I think it, it's probably been like what four or five years now, and I've not thought about it in all that time. But because I think it's it resonated that much with me, and I've been working in the fitness industry for that long that now I'm able to see people who go through it like there was one guy at the gym who I just spotted that he was aesthetically looked good to me like no one would know but he never looked in the mirror when he trained and I was just saying oh you know you could just like 
work you back a little bit yeah. better if you just Technique. like yeah yeah um and he was like no i can't look at myself i'm like what do you mean you yourself and yeah it spurned on and we became close talking in the gym and he'd suffered body dysmorphia probably for like five years and i was like have you spoken to someone about it and yeah so we got him to speak to someone about it so yeah so emotionally i would say wasn't a big thing for me there are cognitive behavioral therapists and because i've got such a, a mindset where if I want to do summer, I'll I'll do it. So yep. I did start doing a lot of research myself and trying to yep. trying to think I could outdo it, yep. so to speak. Um, so I did learn some practices and premises of, of cognitive behavioral therapy, um, but mine were visual. So as soon as I start seeing those results, like but now, it's, but, it's, but it's an interesting dilemma, isn't it? Because you were able mm. to fix the visual. So you're kind of saying for yourself, it really was. Once I fixed the problem, this disappeared. For a lot of people. Uh, maybe they'll never be able to fix their problem. You know yeah. what I mean? You know, like there are some people who just are never going to have that body that they ultimately think that they're going to have. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously for them, probably the only answer is like, you know, some therapy or something like that, because how do you let go of it if, if you're never going to see the change, you know, if you get what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's the whole thing with body dysmorphia. It's a funny one because it's a perceived flaw. Yeah. So, as much as it worked for me that I was able to fix mine through something, you've obviously got to uh, get to, uh, what I found with the psychologist is you've got to get to a deeper root of understanding where it came from. Mm. But to me, for a long time, I couldn't actually understand because when I knew you and in New Zealand and doing those classes and before that, nothing. Mm. Like it was never, when you go to a psychologist sometimes and they, they try to get to the root of things yeah. and press and press and press, and I was going, there literally was nothing wow. in my childhood or yeah. nothing that has ever stemmed this. I was the first person, like, on my Facebook, I, I'd go to the beach and yep. topless, and I was the first person. Like, it never crossed my mind. It was literally when people say the best time of your life or when you get in your 30s was <laughs> when mine literally <laughs> was turned to going, oh, shit, social media has got so big, and I'm constantly scrolling this highlight reel and thinking these guys are uh... so aesthetically looking good, but – Again, that was my naivety and, and, and somewhat we've all got a sense of naivety in, in all aspects of life because little did I know that half of my friends were putting things in their body. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and, and let's be honest, a lot of, if you are looking at those people who really promote image on social media, a lot of them are kind of cheating the game by using drugs and, and, and you know, exactly. those types of, you know, things that are just purely enhance aesthetics. Um and by all means, there's, there's, I have no problem with people what they put into the body. People have vices like alcohol, drugs, steroid, whatever. But what I have a problem with then is a sense of dishonesty that yeah. to people. Can you remember the day when it used to be like you can attain this certain type of body within twelve weeks? Yeah. Now all of a sudden it's got to eight weeks. And I saw someone post the other week in five weeks. Yeah. And this guy completely transitioned to this buff guy and. I sent the guy a message and I goes, what are you actually putting out to people? Because the clients of yours that have, you've had for a long time and you never post photos of them, what's that doing to their mental health? Because yeah. you're just posting the guys that are jumping on things, getting the results to promote yourself. But well, and you're setting people up to fail for yeah. profit, ultimately, you know, because you're selling the quick fix in a, in a way that you know won't actually deliver. I actually have a problem with this as well because, like, you know, one of the, you know, The Rock, the biggest movie star in the world, arguably right now, um, 
he, he, you know, he's obviously created a brand around himself where, I mean, it's kind of ultra-disciplined athlete. But without, you know, speculating, I'm pretty sure he's used steroids. And yeah. and so he kind of promotes his health image to the world. And, and it's a great thing because he is trying to encourage people to move. But let's be honest, you know, like do it in an honest way. You know, like I think because if you are, you know, if, you, if he's saying be like me, and, and he does promote things like good discipline and good character traits – but be upfront about what you are because, you know, it's easy to kind of say, here's what I am, but I'm not actually telling you the full story. And I think it's actually important that we challenge people who are going to get up in front of people and say, hey, here's how you should live your life. Well, show, show, show the bits that you don't want to show because, you know, one of the questions I often ask, ask, love asking in an interview, particularly for people who spend a lot of time giving advice is, well, what's your weakness? Where do you struggle? Because, you know, sometimes people think that those who are kind of presented in, in, in a shining light – kind of have no flaws and yeah. you know it's, I just it's a really interesting topic that isn't it because we do just look at a picture we go oh well, that's perfection but yeah. as you say we just don't really look behind what's actually behind it and and how much truth there is to it um and you know you're a photographer so you know about that before we go into your photography stuff um just any tips for those because you have had a fitness career and you know I'm sure you've got some insights just for those who are listening to this podcast um, what would be some advice that you'd give around kind of having a healthy relationship with exercise in your life at any stage of your life? I would say it's probably one of the the biggest things in my life that I'm grateful for. I obviously, um, if you look into like neuroscience um, research and things like that, it's, it's, it's just basically shown that exercise for the brain is, is essential. Mm-hmm. So as much as I stem to have a body dysmorphic disorder from looking on social media that wasn't to say that when I was training that it didn't give me a good attention span it didn't give me energy mm-hmm. um, there's immediate effects like serotonin and dopamine and things like that and I would say for anyone who is thinking about doing it uh, to just get in there because not only is the positives what I've just mentioned but the social aspects it's it's an amazing thing to do. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty much what I'd say. Yeah. Okay, so let's. So you went to Australia. You kind of had a bit of a fitness career, and on the side, you've always had a photography. It was a hobby at first, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, yeah. I I used to do it back in the UK like years ago through school, and then just put the camera down, never picked it up, and then yeah, one day I I picked it back up, and I was lucky enough to have a friend who was an actress, and then took some photos of her. Um, I suppose it, it, it turned from me taking photos of her to then sort of being a creative director and trying to tell a story through it and said, how about we do something like this? And and that's the end of that story, mate. That It just basically took off when people saw the images. But bearing in mind when people first saw my images because they were telling a story and they were a little bit darker, um, they didn't do that well in Australia compared to when I went to America and people oh, were like, wow, these look like unit stills from movies. Like you do really well in America. So that's why I kept going back to America and, and picking it up. And then I think because my images started resonating a lot more through storytelling, the campaign came to fruition because so I was us, able to capture so, something that, that so, was a story. So tell us about the campaign. Tell us, you know, what started it because, you know, lots of these people, won't, lots of our listeners won't know much about it. So um, tell us what where it stemmed from, um, you know, tell us the story. So 
as I was saying, probably back to my body dysmorphic disorder back in the day, I, I probably took my socials off for quite some time um, because you're, you're comparing yourself, like I say, to your behind the scenes to everyone's highlight reels. So I took myself off, found myself more productive with work and everything like that. Then because I'm a photographer, my kids had a, um, a camera in the face from day one. So, <laughs> so my wife actually told me to turn it back on because she wanted to send some pictures back to her mom. Yeah. Um, so I turned it back on and I, I, I saw these things kept popping up of this guy that I used to train with at the gym in the UK for a long time, finding out that he passed away. So oh, I started wow. delving into a lot more and it turned out he'd um, sadly taken his life. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... The more and more I was asking questions and his wife or his partner, because I've not been back for like 15 years, had posted this video and it was like one of those montages with music of their life together. And an interlude came between it of him and his little boy laughing and just just that. And he, he fuck, he, he got to me. Yeah. Like I was in a place one time going, how can I carry on? But each day I'd be thinking, I've got, I've got my kid, like, I, I couldn't take it that far. But to know that somebody was in such a place that they thought everyone would be better off without them, or his son, yeah, to see, wow. like, when people say sometimes suicide selfish, you can look on one side, but if you've never been through it and you just don't know that feeling, I don't think anyone can judge. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's like, like I've, I've had mild depression at one stage in my life, and it was very much for a short period of time. Um, but to to know that place is it's like a colour that we haven't seen unless you've been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Until it happens to you, when it, it takes a grip, it, it really shows you that the mind is a powerful thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, so powerful. Like you you hear about it before you you like go through it, and you're like, you have this well the stigma basically going, oh you'll be fine, you'll be all right. Mm-hmm. But God, when it grips you, it grips you. Um, so through that, I, I reached out to a friend and I just had a vision, like probably after about six months, because, yeah, he knocked me around for a bit, um, and reached out and just said, look, <clears throat> we need to stop this because I'm telling people about it and they're saying, oh, they know someone who's committed suicide due to depression or anxiety or things like this, and started looking into research and the stats, and in Australia, it's like one in five people suffer from mental health issues, wow. and 65,000 every year literally attempt to take their life. 65,000? 65,000. Wow. It's, oh, it's staggering. The more research and the more I've been working with clinical psychologists, <coughs> excuse me, it, I, you just can't believe it. Yeah. It, it's it's getting out of hand. And yes, there's there's mental health advocates out there and there's there's the government that put things in place. But Australia had um, a big campaign with, with an old lady with a bunch of flowers. <coughs> and to me that doesn't resonate with a younger generation or <coughs> excuse me. Um, so I wanted to create something. So the whole concepts I sat down with thinking, right, how can I make an impact? I'll use the tools of my trade being photography and film. I want to flip mental health the way we look at it on its head. So social media, everyone's obsessed with social media, but if we look back to the origins about what, 2011, 12, when Facebook first came out or something, why was it created? The intended purpose was for people to communicate. So let's bring it back to that intended purpose of communicating, but for a positive purpose. Yeah. Like these days we've seen, like I say, the highlight reels and the narcissistic tendencies, but we're also seeing suicide and we're also seeing depression and anxiety through universities and that through teenagers because of social media pressure. 
So to use social media in a way that's for a positive is one. Second is visual mediums because our kids and ourselves, we're obsessed with pictures or movies, anything that creates and resonates emotion, we can connect. And thirdly, if I'd have simply used everyday people like myself, yes, for a moment you'll listen and move on, but a public figure, someone that we may look up to or aspire to be or picture putting a video of your favorite rugby player like from the All Blacks and put it in a in a school locker room with all the kids who may be going through something and someone like Dan Carter opening up and going, yeah. <clears throat> you know, yeah. guys, I went through depression, but look what I've been able to achieve with the help that I can get. If it yeah. sparks that conversation, then that was the whole premise behind it. And within the first month I did it and I reached out to some public figures and looking enough, they didn't know this photographer from anyone, but um, yeah, they, they saw my vision and they wanted to use their platform and their voice <clears throat> to help people as well, came on board, we took the images um, and it just kind of blew up. And then it reached one of your own, Rebecca Gibney, New yep. Zealand. Yep. She came on and just opened up and said that in her early, early days, contemplated suicide and it went all over the magazines featured on channel 7 channel 9 sbs sky news radio and then just gone from there wow yeah so it's making an impact it's making a difference but i think what's ingrained is the passion that because of what i went through and then my losing my friend to it and now i think the whole purpose for me as what's moved me away from fitness in a sense, I still love it and I'm thankful for that career and the connection that it's brought and why I think I've always resonated with people. Um, but for a purpose in life that I've now find is to go and help people through it all. Mm. So, and so you ultimately see the objective of it is to help connect a younger generation to the idea of opening up to having great discussions and being in, and working through what they need to work through and get support and all those types of things. Yeah, because as, as much as there's a lot of mental advocates out there doing segregated groups like men's mental health or yeah. this, <clears throat> what people can take away from mine, I hope, is that mental health doesn't discriminate. Everyone says it, but this campaign showing that there's women's mental health issues through endometriosis. I mean, Hannah, like our mutual yeah. friend, has, has yeah. just started a blog on what she's gone through with a prolapse after yeah. a daughter. Um, and she's doing incredible things with that. It's got men who have lost people to suicide. They've been through depression. So I just want to show a campaign that it doesn't discriminate. And as sad as it sounds, the stigma's already there with our age group because mm-hmm. it's been passed on generational. Yep. But it doesn't have to be with our kids. And and what I'm trying to fight for to get it towards the government levels is if we can get it more towards teachers. Because at the end of the day, our teachers sometimes spend more hours of the day with our kids than we do. Yep. So why not put funding? It's all right putting funding into campaigns so people know about it, but put that funding into our teachers who spend time with our kids to ingrain the minds that let's have a discussion today about how we're feeling, but then also putting some into teaching parents. Because <clears throat> I think the, the, the problem does sometimes start from parents because if you think about it, our job as a parent is to protect and support our kids through anything. We don't want to see them suffer. But there are some parents out there at the same time going, if they know their kid's actively going through something, they'll kind of hide the fact because they don't want to segregate them at school from other kids 
and they don't want their kid to be bullied as being different. Yeah. So it's like a no win-win situation. So if we don't integrate it within schools through teachers to teach all the kids to be acceptable of it, how is it ever going to stop? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need, uh, it needs to be a shift. Yeah, and, and, and it does start with parents talking openly about it, even though we've got the stigma. We don't need to carry that stigma on in the home. We can talk about feelings, and then especially in schools. You know, I mentioned now that you're kind of immersed in this world. You're learning a lot around what actually helps. So what are some of the things that you've learned that actually help people to move through this, you know, like these, these kind of mental struggles that lots of people have? Yeah, I, I think the main things are, especially with our young ones now, it is removing yourself or limiting your time with social media. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is just – monitoring time and it was funny because I was discussing this with a friend last night her son's nine years old and just just started asking about Instagram because his friends are on it okay and I flipped that on its head and I was like why why don't you say to him all right for every week that you don't ask for it I will put ten dollars in a bank account so you're seven now you finish school what 16 in some countries whatever that is 10 times 52 weeks in a year times seven Within that whole time, if you don't ask for Instagram, you don't think about it. By the time you're 16, you leave school, you can afford your first car. Whereas the people who are fabricating their life, they can keep fabricating, but you're actually living a reality and and, and you've got no preconceived judgment. So Mm. it's kind of deflecting things with your kids in that sort of way, but removing them from social media and yourself, downplaying it. At least phones now are showing you the... The, the time usage of how long you're actually active on social media mm. as you can you can see that you've been on it some people 15 hours a day out of a 24 hour day like <clears throat> so remove yourself a little bit and and find out remove yourself remove yourself from as as hard as it can be your circle of friends that maybe have negative energy or yep. put yourself in people where people talk openly about their feelings or Find things, and one of the biggest thing is through the campaign as well. We're, we're we're saying it a lot more. Is if you're going through something as well, there's nothing better to release dopamine and serotonin levels and exercise or helping other people. So go and volunteer, like go and see people who are less fortunate than you, and just take your mind because you never know. One of my friends said the best things that anyone who has suicide thoughts, <clears throat> like she did, or depression, is how she looks at it. Is she goes. What if tomorrow is the best day of my life? Mm. And that always kept her going. Okay, nice. So, yeah, things like that. Just removing the, the sources that are, are leading towards what you're going through. So I think we also got to start, you know, I'm just kind of thinking as you're talking here, but I, I think maybe one thing we need to start thinking about with the education of our kids is to teach them to have quite conscious discussions around this idea of different types of connection. And, and, and what what creates a good life and because there is a little bit of kind of you know could we black and white it can we say don't have any social media but it's a drug man you know like it's, it's pretty hard you know and let's be honest it ain't just kids you know like yeah. it, it's it's the world you know most people I think have a guilt around how much time they spend on their phone um, and so there's this kind of um, there's a cost and so it, it maybe one thing we can also start to do is try to kind of have discussions and and 
talk to each cat kids around the different types of connections you can have in your life so it is you know being in a sporting team is a really good way because you're a group of people working towards the same goal um being creative for friends with maybe music or a creative hobby or photography or something like that it's a way we can express yourself um having deep conversations is a way we can actually um, feel free to express who you are and maybe solve your problems and, and maybe if we can talk to kids around this idea of there are lots of ways that we can connect and social media is you know, in the right context, has value, um, and maybe it's you know our job as an adult with you is to help you learn the value of all of them and learn the right levels of the ones that maybe can tilt over to the wrong side, um, because the the, the talk, unfortunately the tools of the companies who run social media are so strong at keeping us addicted, and and, and it, you know more time on their platforms is obviously more profit for them, so they're encouraged to actually, you know, create a more addictive product. Uh, and and so it's one thing to say, you know, don't do it, but if we can start to educate them, and because and, to me it's like, if you can show somebody the value of something and then for them to experience it, then it's easier for them to continue to do it. So if you can kind of say, okay, let's, you know, after a game of sport, let's say, you, say your kid does team sport, afterwards you can say, what does it feel like when you're actually playing with your mates? What's it actually feel like? You know, yeah. and, and is that, do you think it's a good thing in your life? And, and maybe, you know, like how, how often do you think you should probably be doing that in your week? You know, and, and so you're having a discussion and you can maybe talk about how as, as your parent, I know that's valuable, so I'm trying to guide you towards that. But as you yeah. go into becoming more independent of your choices in life, these are the kind of things you need to be looking to implement and, and put in your life. And so we're actually training them to be aware of what actually creates health for them. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's, you know, we are only at the beginning of this. Yeah. You know? I, I just, there's, there's four main things that I would I would really suggest. And the first one would be actively recognizing the problem first. So either with your kids or with yourself, recognizing those problems. Because if you're validating your self-worth by how many likes you're getting or you're deleting posts or pictures through your social media because it didn't get enough attention, then that's one. You need yeah, to recognize yeah. the problem with yeah. social media or with any negative kind of environment. Two, I'd basically say audit the use of, of these platforms or what you're doing with it. Three, and you'll probably like this one because it's, I'd say modeling good behavior. Yeah. So how are you using those platforms? So think about removing yourself from situations. If, if you're following certain people and how does it make you feel? Does it make you feel less good about yourself or yeah. does it make you feel bad yeah. but then i've got a really big problem with how people use this word influencer yeah you've got to think of what are you actually influencing people like because if you're influencing people and you're you're using steroids or you're using things like this you're not influencing them mm -hmm. you're just mm -hmm. trying to downplay the narcissistic manipulation of trying to sell them something um but yet, they would, they would be my tips. Basically, raising more awareness, boom, recognizing the problem, um, audit your social media use, model good behavior, and probably, like I say, don't follow these certain people. So create a better social media experience. I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer in what do you feed your mind with. You know, we, we, you know nutrition is so obvious. You know, there's good nutrition, bad nutrition. Um, and when we think about... Uh, you know the the mind we feed ourselves. You know what what what's the content you're putting in your head? What's that feeding? You know, and 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 it's not to say that to have some junk stuff for your mind's not always a bad thing. You know, to watch some bad reality TV shows, you know, to a level's not a bad thing. But yeah. if you if you're 
if you're ultimately looking at a magazine that makes you feel bad about yourself, yeah. that's probably not a good way to feed your mind. You know, and, and that's what you're kind of saying there is this audit, be aware, but also you want to become a bit more conscious of, okay, is this good for me? Okay, yeah. if not, I, I'm going to edit it out. And then, you know, it's that kind of thing of if if we take away that, then what can I put in there that's actually really good for me? So, you know, maybe in, you know, less social media time, I could do some self-work. I could find some, you know, read a book that's going to help me grow or I could do a course or, you know, go towards some really valuable things in your life that actually is kind of making your mind flourish. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Find, find those things. Like, I'll take you back from when I moved to New Zealand and came to your classes. Like, me and Helen used to compete. Well, yeah. maybe we yeah. come to your like if you were doing twice a day. Like, you find something that you're passionate about that makes you feel good. You release your, um, your endorphins and you go for it. Yeah. Like, stemmed a whole career through fitness. But um, I'll say a, a question to you. I'll flip it and yeah. say, is there something that – did you ever learn any kind of psychology in – in talking to people because as I say, I'll that first day that I came in and you beeline for me because you knew that I was new and you recognized someone new, the connection that you have, and I always think about things now that it's coming around about way with this campaign, I always go, maybe I was taught a lesson the older I'm get, maybe I was taught a lesson back in the day and I took something from each person that I met. Mm. And from you, that connection that I saw with people, is that something that you learn or I think for me, it was, I've always been a people person. So I think fundamentally that's kind of core of who I am. Like, um, like my, my thing is like when I was a kid, I was a paper boy and my, my paper run was meant to take 30 minutes. It took me an hour and a half because I basically spoke to every client, you know, and, and, um, and so I've, I've always had that people thing. So it's very much, it is ingrained in me, but yeah. I have actually developed it as a skill and I've done a lot of learning around great communication techniques and, and, um, and yeah, and I, and I very much know how to show understanding to somebody else. Because to yes. me, that's great communication. Great communication is, a lot of communication is, I just want to add button with my bit. You know, you know, I just want to tell you my bit. You know, I want to add to it with my bit. Um, and so really, I'm always looking for deep human connection. And, yeah. and so there's a few things that I think that are really important for deep human connection is first of all, to remove judgment. Because actually I was having an interesting session with a client the other day when we were talking about this, is that um, judgment stops you from really getting to meet the real person. Because yeah. everyone's got a much more interesting story than what our judgment thinks. You know what I mean? Like anyone you meet has a much deeper, interesting layer if you can just really get to meet the real person. And so for me, one of the first things is I, I and, and don't get me wrong, I'm human. There'll be times where I have judgment, but I really yeah. try to remove that layer from myself because I, I think that limits me to the connection I can have with the person. Uh, and then secondly, yeah. I, I just ultimately, in building a connection with someone, the deeper I can show understanding of who they are, yeah. the more I'll get of them. And so for me, that's about great communication skills. And, and I've learned lots of techniques to help me do that. Um, and the thing I love about it is, there's just nothing better when you're genuinely connecting with somebody. You know, like when yeah. you're just, you're getting that raw person and um, I don't know, there's just a magic that comes out and you always leave those conversations kind of stimulated in some way, shape or form. You know, they can reveal something that makes you self-reflect, they can help you grow, um, you can just feel connected to them. You know, there's just this, you know, I think ultimately what we all need is, you know, the thing I have to talk about is what's the greatest punishment or it's, it's isolation. You know, solitary confinement is the biggest punishment we give to humanity. And so like, 
And we almost, in a way, we live in a world where we're creating isolation, although we have people who are not in a cell. And so for me, it's just that ultimately, I just love genuine connection. And the thing about genuine connection as well, it's kind of like reading a book. You read a book, the great thing about being a reader is, and I'm talking novels here, is you kind of get to experience somebody else's life. You yeah. know, and, and, and great communication that is that as well. Like I get to experience and kind of solve problems that I maybe don't have to confront in my life right now, but I have to explore them because I get to be with someone else. And so for me, I just love that, you know, and and and, and then ultimately it's that sense of you can trust to be yourself when you're with me. And if, if, if I've done that in my connections with people, then, um, you know, I feel I'm adding value to the world. Well, I think like, um, and, and you, you won't know this, but how, how much impact you make to people's lives in that what I did for years after I left New Zealand and I ingrained it when I was a group fitness manager as well to all mine, it brought you up in the sense that there was one class that I attended with you. I think it could have been the first one. And straight after the class, you disappeared. And I was like, where is it? Like, where's, at first I was like, that's a bit strange. It just disappeared. <laughs> And literally, as I was walking down to the changing rooms, because in Christchurch, there was that long walk through the gym yeah, and to right. the spiral yeah. staircase. And then you stood at the top of the staircase and made sure you shook hands and said goodbye to every single person, like a hundred and odd people. Mm. And that I've never told you stuck with me, which I told every single person that I used to manage within a group fitness capacity, that that's what they need to do in their classes. Yeah, but you don't, think, you don't think about this, and it's, 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 I really appreciate you telling me that. Um, it's not really that hard to make people feel good about themselves. No, no. I agree. And the biggest thing I always say, e even with this campaign, people say, how did you connect with that person? I think the whole thing with connection is, and brings me back to your question about being in the fitness industry and what you took away from it and everything, is that the judgment thing, what you just said. Mm. I can walk in a room and I can connect with somebody who may be a cleaner or somebody yeah, who hasn't yeah, nothing or a CEO within a gym environment we've all yeah. so we've all got insecurities and we're all there for a one common goal to get fitter, healthier, whatever it may be. And you take away the distractions. So you might be a CEO of what, a million dollar company, but hey, you're in a gym, you're doing the same thing as me. We've got a common connection. Let's yeah bring the humanity back yeah. and let's think about it. Um, and that that's one of my biggest things I'll always take away from being in the fitness industry. Yeah. And, and, and that, like this way, I love fitness because there is no class. Yeah. You know, you know, there, it is just, Hey, we're all here and, and it does break down barriers and allows people to have that genuine human connection. And just going back to that kind of point around, it's not that hard to make people feel good about themselves. Like it's yeah. really not. And, and sometimes we neglect to, now, I get that I'm very lucky because I have a leadership role in my community. So the yeah. fact that I kind of put a bit of effort into doing those small things, which seem to have a bit of an impact, yeah. um, and, and it's genuine. Like, I'm not a bad salesman who's just trying to get the sale out of you. I, like, I genuinely want to make you feel good about yourself. Um, you know, it's, you know, but we can all do this. You know, yeah. you don't have to be a local leader to do that. Every one of us has the ability to make somebody else feel good about themselves. And, and it's really just an intention. You know, because I guarantee anyone who's listening to this today, you can go to work today and give someone some praise and give them yeah. some genuine praise about something they're good at and you'll make their day. And the thing about it is that kind of, um, you know, you're talking about how one thing that really helps with depression is, is service or helping others. Yeah. You know, now we think, well, often when we say that we think, oh, that means going to the charity kitchen and helping out. It's a simple thing as just giving someone some praise. 
True. You know, yeah. you know, and then that, you know, so yeah, like it, it really is just these little things that if we could all help each other be healthier, that's got to be good for us as well. Yeah. You know, totally. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And I think what, what, what you're doing with the fitness podcast and what, what you've always done with fitness in the community, <clears throat> it's the main thing for mental health and yeah. it's a big aspect that I've obviously wanted to bring in into the campaign. Yeah. Um, I know there's a huge epidemic in, in New Zealand yeah. with suicides yeah. and <clears throat> I got a couple of people on. I got some of the um, Les Mills guys doing yeah. a video support. Uh, right. We'll get you on when I'm over there, mate. <laughs> but but that's the thing. When when people have got a platform and voice and we, we look up to these sort of people, for them to spark conversation, Yeah. I think yeah. that's the main thing. And, and the last thing I would always say is, controversial things sometimes such as images like this or shows like 13 reasons why yeah there was such controversy that controversial topics around that but <clears throat> on the flip side on a positive controversy isn't always a bad thing mm. a it got people paying attention mm. it got people talking and it got people starting the conversation because the only reason why it was con- controversial i believe is because it hit home mm. These things are happening. These things are very real. Let's bring it yes. to the surface. Yeah, it was, it was quite confronting to watch, but it's nothing that's not happening, and the statistics are showing. So I don't believe that the producers of that show, for example, <clears throat> intention wasn't to create an awareness thing. Like, so the people that are complaining and saying, "Oh, well, it's just giving kids ideas," mm-hmm. well, you've got to think. It may give your kid an idea, but there's something ingrained in your kid to be going through issues that we need to find out what yeah. they are before they get to a point. Because there's been horror movies, there's been thrillers for years. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't just give a kid an idea. There's got to be something psychologically. That and then, and then how do we actually use this as a resource to open up to better discussions, which helps them to grow? Exactly. Yeah. Um, what's just, just lastly, what's the kind of... Um, What's the long term with this? Is it what's the what's the vision? Yeah, so the long term vision is at the moment, which I'm very grateful for. It's it's only within its six months, um, and it's grown really fast. Um, I've been offered some opportunities to do some public speaking, great, great. which would be cool. So I can actually get face to face in front of people, and we've just well, I'll announce it on here. We've just put this application to a, turn it into a foundation. So we can do more mental health initiatives and we're taking it back to America. So my last trip to America, we had some incredible meetings, like I said, with Warner Brothers and NBC and uh, some press opportunities possibly for some bigger names that are coming on board. So if I can take it globally, that's that's the vision because at the end of the day, I'm going, hey, this is a little photographer from Yorkshire who followed his passion to make a difference and and look what we can do. And at the end of the day, if I can show people that I started out with nothing and look what I've created, then hey, yeah. be grateful for what you do have. Have your affirmations knowing you can do it. Work hard. Stop trying to look for an easy route to success because it ain't, ain't there unless you win the lottery. <laughs> Just follow your passion. Find out what your passion is. Connect with people. Do service to other people and you'll find out you'll have a good life. One thing we haven't done is name tell people what the name of the campaign is. <laughs> so, so <laughs> yeah, so it's called Imperfectly Perfect Campaign. Okay. So you can find out more information at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org. 
and it goes back to your question when you're talking about no one's perfect. That's the whole concept of the thing. We're all imperfectly perfect. There's a flaw within us all. Yeah. And if we can get the conversation started, then our job's done. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for your time today. I, I, I have been watching your career on the sidelines and I've just I've been really impressed with uh, the work you've gone and, and kind of the impact you're, you're having right now. And, you know, obviously there's a big future in front of you in a really important area. So just keep doing what you're doing, mate. Love your work and uh, keep it up, mate. I appreciate it, mate. Thanks for your time, Bevan, and uh, bringing me on board. So that's my interview of Glenn. Uh, again, I'll put all the links to his work and you can go to his website. You can check out the work he's doing around the photography work. Um, it's just some really great stuff. And you kind of get a sense that he's about to kind of explode into something bigger. I know he's doing some really powerful work in Australia, but uh, I like the way he is trying to, you know, like there is celebrity and, um, you know, sometimes celebrity get maybe too much attention but if you're using it in the right way then it's a really powerful thing and that's what I love about what Glenn is doing so I'll put a link to the show notes to all his work in the show notes so you can check that out at bevanjamesisles.com that's pretty much today's show done and dusted if you want to become a patron of the Bevan James Isles show please just go to bevanjamesisles.com you'll see podcast patreon click on a patreon link and it'll just take you through to where you can become a patron a just big thank you to all the people who do support the show it really does make a difference if you want to spread the word about the show just on social media if you've got a friend who you just think would get some value out of the work i'm doing on the show just make sure you send it forward and uh yeah i'll be back in a couple of weeks i'll be back from my holiday i'm sure i've got actually you know what I've already got ideas for shows, you know, right now. I've got a couple of interesting things recently that have, that have happened, which um, I really like, and I'm going to do some shows on it. So I've actually recorded this like about six weeks ago, but next time on the show, you're going to hear a, a kind of a Bevan one where I go a little bit deeper in one of those deeper subjects. So uh, as I always say, keep being you. That's me out for this time. I'll see you next time.